Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. memory of the story I'm about to tell you has been branded into my brain. I still remember the off-putting slurping sound that emitted from the receiver end of my phone. It was literally haunting and as off-putting for me to hear as it is for you to listen to now. I want you to imagine me standing in this closet in order to block out noise from one of LA's busiest intersections during rush hour. I didn't want any outside noise to add to the anxiety I already felt when I was dialing the phone. My fingers punched against the glass surface of the phone with the precision of a surgeon performing their initial incision. I wanted to make sure each and every number was entered correctly given how high the stakes were. The manuscript for my first book had been completed, and it was only a few days earlier that a friend of mine had given me the contact of a literary agent who held the key to getting my book into the hands of a major publisher, and thus hopefully turning a modest tome into a New York Times bestseller. Now, mind you, this was a book, Conscious Coaching, that I had been working on for nearly three years and just put nearly my entire savings behind to make a reality. The leather from the chair that I rode in from 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. nearly every day in between training athletes and, and whatever client I could get my hand on at the time had literally become worn thin from all the fidgeting I had done with my legs as I wrote. I hate sitting down, especially when it comes to doing creative work. Now, so I've always had trouble sitting still when ideas are going through my brain at a million miles an hour. I'm a kinetic creature, even right now as I'm recording this, I'm standing up. Now don't worry, I'm not one of those annoying people that have to fidget every time. It just means that this is a more comfortable medium for me as opposed to punching away at a keyboard. Right? Like I am somebody who prefers to interact with people directly since my hands can never seem to keep up with my brain. My thoughts were interrupted once again by the slur. Hello, are you there? He asked. Yeah, listen, I'm, not, I'm sorry. I'm not calling at a bad time, right? Like this is Brett Bartholomew, Pat's friend. I've changed some names to protect their identity. He connected us a while back. You said I should call tonight. Yep, so tell me what you do again. You're a trainer or something that wants to write a book, he asked. I remember the statement frustrated me. One, the way he asked his question when he picked up the phone and said the word trainer was as if I was some kind of telemarketer trying to sell him some overpriced stakes or a scammer telling him that his social security number had been compromised and that I wanted to help. I remember looking for a way to respond to this, Um, sort of. Listen, I'm a strength coach who works with professional athletes, military, and a wide range of other populations, and I finished a manuscript about, and right then he interrupts. Great, so tell me why somebody's gonna want to buy a million books about a trainer. Is this book about training? Slurped again. I could not figure out what the hell he was eating. Was it spaghetti? Was it soup? Either way, it was driving me nuts. Uh, No, not exactly, I said. It's actually about the art of coaching and communication. 
you know, what it takes to build trust, change behaviors in a diverse population. See, a lot of times people in my field start relying on fancy exercises in tech in order to interrupt me again. Let me stop you right there, he said. You're telling me that you're a trainer who is writing a book on communication about pro athletes, right? And his question must have been rhetorical because he didn't even give me time to answer. Here's the thing. It sounds like a niche problem with a niche audience that nobody's going to buy on a large scale. Convince me otherwise. <laughs> there he is again. I mean, it's just like it, was, it became a curb your enthusiasm episode at this point. So I responded, well, you know, listen, it's not about some sort of wishy-washy communication tactics that are motivational. We actually break down behaviors in the book and conversational styles and talk about different personality types. And, and this is stuff that anybody deals with in life. I was rushing my words because at this time I wasn't that refined at speaking about this. This was at the beginning of my journey, seeing what this book could even really be. But I did know that if we don't communicate well, that it impacts us. So I said that to him, if we can't communicate, and he interrupted again. And finally, he had clearly finished whatever the hell he was slurping because I heard him slam the dish down in the background. What I'm asking you, he said, is why would people buy it from you? Now I tried my best to find a way to think of how I could inform him of some of my accolades because he was clearly wanting me to like brag about myself or prove myself, but I didn't want to sound like some kind of pompous ass. You know, of course, I didn't know it all. I'll, I'll never know it all. But by 29, I had had a little bit of a unique experience. I had coached and spoke in a wide variety of countries. Of countries. I'd worked with more than 500 professional athletes, easily just as many high-level athletes at other levels. I had work that I had done with surgeons in the military. And at one point in time, I'd been named the NFL's top trainer by Outside Magazine. There's that trainer name again, by the way. But regardless... You know, not to mention the fact that the book documented how I had spent a year of my life in a hospital ran by a Machiavellian medical staff near death at 96 pounds. You know, but I got out and I made understanding human nature and power dynamics and human performance my mission, and that led me into coaching. So no, you know, I wasn't special by any means, but I believed my experiences and perspective mattered, just like I believe those of you listening, your experiences and perspective mattered. So... I decided to go the humble route and the best I could just come up, you know, whatever I came up with at the time was trash. I remember saying, listen, I appreciate your question and I want to respect your time. So I'll be as candid and straight with you as I can. I'm not saying I'm Brene Brown or some kind of world beating CEO of a tech firm, but I've had to overcome a lot and I help many high level people do the same. I can send you my, he interrupted again. What did you just say? He asked. I thought about it for a minute and I said, well, which, which part? I replied about you not being Brene Brown. What did you mean by that? I simply replied that I didn't have a million plus view Ted talk to my name, a publicist, a staff, or an established online brand since I was still in the trenches of doing my job every day, right? Like understand if you're, if you listened to me for a while or you followed me for a while, this was a point in time where I didn't even have a website. You know, I didn't have, I, I didn't have much other than social media. We didn't have any kind of business then. And so he cuts in and says, so there's the issue. I sell books to publishers for a living. That's what I do. So for you to essentially lay it out for me that you have no established vehicle to help this book sell is the reason we aren't going to work together. At that point, I was just trying to figure out how to make sense of what he had just said. And why would I want to work with anyone who leads me 
or leads with telling me that they aren't somebody who has a platform that can help this book go and isn't somebody who is a thought leader on a worldwide stage. So I had started pacing anxiously at this point, taking this in, tightening my grip around the phone. I was super frustrated. He had a point, you know, but he was twisting my words and clearly my honest play at humility had backfired at this point. I, mean, I, I wasn't used to talking to folks like this. I was in the context of me coaching and what have you, but not in terms of negotiating a book deal or even knowing what that landscape was really like. I'd never been prepared for that, right? And so, yeah, I began to utter a reply and then he sharply cut me off again and said, you're not ready for this and I'm not interested and hung up. And that was that. It was at that moment that while living in a 900 square foot apartment that was costing my wife and I $3,400 a month in the US, we were barely collectively clearing 90K. As I've talked about before, throughout my life, I had to do two unpaid internships, I made $10,000 a year as a master's student when I was getting my graduate, doing my graduate assistantship. You know, we didn't have a lot of cash. And so that entire room, which was very small in the context of a 900 square foot apartment, and my soul seemed to contract. This was my first lesson as to when humility, the very trait we hear championed so much in every leadership book, perhaps second only to empathy, could turn out to be harmful. What this guy wanted was a pitch and a plan. What I came with was hope and naivete. I didn't know how to play the game because I was still caught up in the Pavlovian conditioning of it's not about you thinking that I was raised with as a strength coach. Very much told, just keep your head down. You're supposed to be seen, not heard. And so anytime I uttered anything about an accomplishment or anything, I was very quick to downplay it, very quick to play it off. Not about me, not about me. And at this point, it cost me it cost me significantly. Now, thankfully, as many of you know, we were able to self-publish the book by the grace of God, and it stands at over 200,000 copies sold, translated into a number of languages, became an international bestseller, something I'm thankful for every night, and I'm not bragging, right? As a matter of fact, I'd be lying if I said the experience and everything it took to get there did not shave years off of my life. But this episode is not about the book. I've already done that. Make sure you go back and listen to episode 156 if you want details on that. This episode is about becoming more aware of how to get out of your own way by recognizing when a virtue like humility can become a vice. It's about realizing behaviors can't be assessed in a vacuum. And the core truth that even, even often often though we think we are coming across one way, when we communicate, our messages are nearly always received in an entirely different fashion. I mean, we may say one thing and that thing, that word, that phrase has multiple definitions, not only in a dictionary, but in the context of that other person's perception and their life. It's about knowing when humility can be harmful and how being too humble during certain key moments can even erode progress. I'm Brett Bartholomew, and this is the Art of Coaching Podcast. Before we go further, I need to thank both Momentus and VersaClimber, two companies that make what we do at Art of Coaching possible as a small business. 
Momentus creates no compromise nutrition-based products and tools that support the endless improvement of personal performance, regardless of what performance means to you. You see, just as our podcast is not solely for coaches or trainers that work with sports figures or anything, right? despite that being my background, Momentus is not just for health nuts, athletes, or the like. They are for anyone who values what they put into their body so they can live a life with more energy, focus, and fervor. And I want to make something clear. I am not the type to hawk a bunch of random supplements or anything else. I am a Nebraska boy who loves food, but I also have a family history of things like cancer and heart disease. So I need to be mindful of what I put into my body. And that's why standing behind Momentus should mean something to you as well, because you have those issues too. To check them out, go to livemomentous.com forward slash Brett. Again, that's livemomentous.com forward slash Brett, and you'll get 25% off anything you order for them. And with respect to VersaClimber, this is a company that stood behind me well before I even had that conversation you heard in the intro. Well before I went out on my own or got turned down and big timed by other literary agents, you know, any of that stuff. Kristen Martin and Brett Collins specifically are two absolute world-class individuals. And I promise you, whether you're building a simple home gym or a facility, the Versa Climber is something you do not want to be without. It is hands down the most efficient workout you will ever get from a cardiovascular standpoint, and there are no needless bells and whistles. You can learn more at VersaClimber.com. Again, that's VersaClimber.com, and be sure to check them all out on the show notes. So on today's show, how humility can be harmful and how to know when it pays off to learn how to ethically self-promote, stand behind your work, and not get trampled by others or your own inner critic. We all know the detriments of working alongside those who are blowhards, braggarts, or those who display clinical levels of extreme narcissism. But have you ever thought about what happens when we go too far the other way? There are three things in particular that can be negatively impacted that I want to get across to you guys. Your own self-confidence and your own self, sense of self-worth, your opportunities, and even the quality of your work. Now, I'm going to hammer out some disclaimers so that the contrarians out there don't start jumping to conclusions. The benefits of humility are well-documented. We're not going back through that, right? Self-deprecating humor is charming and disarming. When done well, right, like these things keep you open to learning. It's respectful, of course, to display humility. So please do not try to flip this into some sort of anti-humility thing. This episode is about when humility goes too far, plain and simple. All right? So point one, going too far down the humility rabbit hole can erode self-confidence and self-worth. When you're not careful, having a high degree of humility can quickly turn into a low degree of self-esteem. And think about it, we're often told that good leaders are servants and they need to put the needs of others before their own. They're emotionally stable. But on the other hand, we are also told we should celebrate the small things in life. We should live in the moment, enjoy the ride. It's an interesting dichotomy, is it not? And as with most things, our thoughts around this are often the result of our own drives, our own motivations, our upbringing, our environment, those we spend the most time around. Now, personal story, I fell into this rabbit hole quickly after an experience I had working with an organization that it very much emphasized the collective over the individual. 
like most organizations are going to, right? But everybody does it at different levels. Now, this was to the point where any mention of the word I would get you in trouble. If people requested to work with you specifically, it became something of an issue. And even raises became a manifestation of a fairness to everyone approach, where if somebody, it was based on, oh, well, your title or oh, the division of the company and what have you, it wasn't even tied to your performance. It seemed as if no matter how hard you worked or what you tried to do to create a bespoke experience for somebody that you would be told this was something you should just be grateful to be a part of. And if you weren't, believe me, they use the weaponization of guilt very, very well. Now, oftentimes this is done by organizations because they've been burned by an individualist type persona in the past. So in this instance, they overcorrected in that other direction. Now, other organizations, they do it just because that's what we've been taught. It's all about the we, not about the I. And sure, there is no I in team, but you better believe there is certainly an I in give, assist, aid, service, and improve. And if you are somebody who has repeatedly starting blowing off compliments, let's look at it this side too, right? Uh, Not just being a part of this organization, but I know for me, I got so used to that I got really bad at accepting any kind of compliment or if I accomplished something, I was very quick to redirect it because there was just like, nope, you're going to get in pro, you're going to get in trouble. It's almost like when we hear about rats and these experiment experiments getting a shock, right? So if you're somebody, and I know some of you are because you have called in or wrote us and said you are blowing off compliments, you, you don't take them or you downplay them, you don't celebrate moments of success or even little bits of your work that are bright spots or any of those kinds of things, I would urge you to reevaluate what you think is the benefit of this, of always focusing on the we, right? Of course, you don't want to alienate others, but if you're a leader, you're going to have to recognize individuals in some way, shape, or form. And we often don't have time or don't have issues with that. It's about ourself, right? It's the same way that we always think that there's other, there, there's this problem or this person's stubborn. Guys, most issues, most conflict starts with ourselves. And when you don't do these things, right, these feelings of ineffectiveness and perfectionism, right, those have made me numb more than once. I just get in this path. It's not about me. It's not about me. And I remember, as a matter of fact, I finally took a big step forward in my own development on this after running our most recent communication workshop in Phoenix. You know, if I'm allowing myself to be honest, which I should be since I'm encouraging you to do the same, it was by far one of the best live courses we ever ran. And mind you, I ran it with a sinus infection given to me by my son, right? And that's a testament to those who came because we had a ton of people be super interactive. We had a great group of people from coaches to a gentleman that was a firefighter and a paramedic, business owners, right? And and that helps in and of itself. But also it's a testament to us because we actually had to show up and deliver that experience after having not ran one in over a year due to COVID. And instead of alienating an attendee who gave us a compliment towards the end, I have finally learned to graciously accept that. I paused and I allowed myself to truly hear it. Now, spare me the head shaking if that sounds cheesy to you. I get it. If you don't believe me, go ahead and see how it makes the other person who gives you a compliment feel when you casually brush it off or redirect it to them. They may not admit it to you, but doing that is like returning a gift the moment somebody just handed it to you. So I want you to think about this for a minute. I want you to think about this in the context of your own confidence and your own sense of self-worth. When have you, either as a leader or somebody that is being led, dealt with this, right? When have you focused maybe a little bit too much 
on the collective, even though there were signs that there were individuals that wanted to be seen and heard and not because there's some special snowflake or anything like that, but just, you went too much down this approach. If you go back and listen to one of the episodes we had about the downfalls of servant leadership, we talk about research that guys inherently, there are going to be people that are going to have higher levels of narcissistic traits. That doesn't mean they're a narcissist. Narcissism is a scale. You know, if you, heaven forbid, any of you ever had a brain tumor, you would want the only surgeon in the world who thinks they are capable of excising that tumor to do your procedure, right? If you are working with somebody who's truly world-class and the stakes are high, by default, these are people that have to have elevated confidence to get the job done. There are athletes that are going to care about their stats and their place in history. Does that make them wrong? Does that make them bad? Or does it make you, if you don't learn how to speak to the individual, because we know those people exist in the world and we all, the by the way, all want recognition for something, whether it's being a good dad, a good mom, something professionally, what have you, just making a difference, right? It makes you not adaptable and not flexible if you don't recognize that. So, you know, think about these things. And if you're somebody on the other end who's working your tail off and you're never happy with your own work and it never seems good enough, I get it. It's never going to. But make sure that you take a moment to hear the compliments and focus on that because if you get down that detachment rabbit hole, you're going to start getting this chip on your shoulder where the way you even present your own work is not going to be with the same energy. It's not going to have the same feel behind it because you're always going to be in this kind of cynical, detached kind of mind frame. Okay, so think about that. Learn how to accept a compliment and freely give it to other people. Number two, okay, too much humility can erode our opportunities. So in episode 93 of the podcast, we talked about the issues with looking at self-promotion exclusively as a sin. And out of respect to those who tune in every week, I am not going to revisit every point I made there. If you're new to the show, I'd highly recommend it. Again, it's episode 93. But here's the deal. There are very few people outside of your family and your closest friends who go to bed at night and wake up each morning worrying about you or your professional success. There are even fewer people who are going to go about each and every day being your staunch advocate to everybody they meet. Why? Because people have their own stuff to worry about. They have their own journey. They have their own obstacles, their own BS, the issues getting in the way, their boss, their, you know, how do they get their audience to see their value, whatever. And the truth is even the most ardent purists self-promotes every single day. They do it while courting their significant other. They do it when they display confidence that they can handle a home improvement project. project. Yeah, honey, I know how to do this. Yep, I can handle that. Yep, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of that. They do it when they apply for a job to make sure that they look like the best candidate. They do it when ensuring someone else they can help solve a complex problem, telling their family they'll keep them safe, telling those they serve that they have their best interests at heart. There are numerous times where we want people to trust us and we try to tell them, listen, we're the man or woman for the job. So when we instead lean on this idea that we should never, ever talk ourselves up, advertise our own work, or take bold initiative on an idea that we're really, what we're really conveying here is that we're not the right person for the job. Or worse still, that we simply expect someone who has not heard of us or hasn't thought of us to just magically know we're the best fit. 
ah, oh, they should have got it all along. I shouldn't need to promote myself. Right? If you build it, if you build it, they will come. That's really nice in the movies. That's not real life. Because one cannot select what they cannot find or easily recall. It's that whole availability heuristic. Right? So now while there is, of course, research showing that people who self-promote are perceived more negatively by others, and that those who are modest about their abilities and accomplishments are better liked and likability in turn, by the way, is a linchpin to influencing others. There's also context there that needs to be unearthed. And if we look at an individual, there's a great individual. Uh, he's done awesome work called, his name's Michael McCoby. Right? He's an American author, psychoanalyst, anthropologist, makes a great point when he states that by definition, anybody who has a pioneering or mold-breaking mentality to a degree has a reasonable degree, now subclinical level of narcissism, right? and that's that mix of disdain for convention, the status quo, and their elevated confidence in their abilities that allows them to even try or do what others wouldn't dare. And I know this hits with many of you because you've reached out saying, you want to start your own job or build your own brand or move up within your organization or do this, but you're not sure. You're, you're scared of what other people will think and what have you. And I get that, right? A lot of this is elaborated on in the research I share in our online course, Bought In at artofcoaching.com, as well as when we discuss the positive aspects of what are often referred to as dark-sided leadership behaviors. But it's also helpful to be aware of the fact that many of the books and research written about certain CEOs, coaches, and leaders who display modesty often detail or champion these modest behaviors once that individual's already reached the top or attained lead role in a company or organization. Professor Jeffrey Pfeffer uh, lays this out well, and he says, you know, this raises some question as to which qualities and behaviors might be useful to get to the top in the first place. Because it's one thing to assess somebody once they're already in that position. It's another thing to look at how did they actually get there? Because we know that office politics are a thing. We know that interpersonal politics are a thing. And so you can't just look at these things in a vacuum, right? And, and I've said this a million times. So I want to be very clear in case cancel culture ever tries coming for me again. At no point in any of my work do I encourage anybody to be a twisted human being devoid of any sense of empathy or the like, or that they just self-promote to no end and they don't follow through? What I do want to get across is that anybody who tries telling you that you can go through life without ever having to learn how to play the game or maneuver within political situations and that you can get to where you want to be without having to self-promote whatsoever is absolutely full of it. They're absolutely full of it. And they've never been in that situation. I'm not saying they have bad intentions, but I'm saying they've either never been in that situation, they're trying to misdirect you, and at best, they're full of it. People, by nature, are hierarchical. They're competitive, socially-based individuals. Shouldn't need a citation for that. It's called, like, that's life 101. We are hierarchical, competitive, socially-biased individuals as well, right? It's great to give people the benefit of the doubt. But let's not pretend, once again, that we can just go through life without being proactive about the cards we play and expect everything to work out perfectly. You are going to have to find the balance between knowing when, what, and how much to share. 
And we talk about this at artofcoaching.com forward slash blind spot. So check that out. This is another reason we have to work to become better communicators in our life because not everybody who is modest is pure and not everyone who self-promotes is evil. We are complex adaptive systems who in many ways mess up and enhance, depending on the context, meaning-making. We all interpret this stuff differently. And besides, if your work can help others, you have a responsibility to share it with the world. So by choosing not to promote it all in the name of humility in any way, you're essentially hiding a valuable resource from somebody that may need it most. All right? Number three, too much humility can negatively impact the quality of your work. I'm going to keep this one simple by describing a spiral I know all too well. You get an idea you're excited about. Could be for a course, presentation, research article, blog, podcast. You start thinking of reasons why the idea could be helpful only to then be overwhelmed once you start building it out. Because all you can think of is, ah, no, this sucks. This isn't what I wanted it to do. So you stop and you start procrastinating because you feel like you need more information or there's something else missing that you've got to find to give it that spark. It needs to be great. And eventually you either scrap it entirely because you've gotten in your own head or you finish it because a deadline was required. So eventually, let's say that deadline hits, you present your idea or share it with the world and you feel a sense of pride, but also a sense of dread because you want it to be better. You know, it can be better but it's also daunting to think of all the things that can be done to improve it. And what do you know? You have a million other things that need to be done as well. So where will you find the time? I do this all the time when we teach the apprenticeship. I'll bring up a point or somebody else will bring up another point. It, it strengthens the whole core of the module we're talking about. I think I'll go home. I'll add it in. Surely I'll remember it. It had high emotional resonance. And then I see Liz and then I see Bronson and then there's a new chapter of my, my next book due for a rough draft or there's something for my doctorate. Next thing you know, it's time to teach the next apprenticeship. Didn't add it to the list, right? There's always something else that's going to take the time. And I didn't want to rush it and put it in then because I wanted the slide to look good and what have you. So I screwed this up. You know, I could have been efficient, but my perfectionism got in the way, right? The idea that it wouldn't have been good enough. I want it to be great, right? This extreme humility, which oddly enough is tied to perfectionism. And then that's weird because self-destruction is a form of self-obsession. So when we're too humble and we downplay our own work, really, is that us not believing our own importance or us over-exaggerating our own importance and the ramifications of our decision? All right, I'll leave you with that one. Think about that. So if you zoom out from all this, it's easy to miss the fact that if you are somebody that went down that kind of rabbit hole of never being happy with something you're creating, stopping, starting, procrastinating, self-limiting beliefs, what have you, you, like if you just would have created something and put it out to the world, you would have surpassed the vast majority of the population who just constantly talks about stuff but never puts their money where their mouth is. But instead of celebrating this, you focus on nothing but the flaws and the down talk you know, and, and you disrupt the quality because you, it's just like your work is never going to meet your own expectations. A little of this can be good, right? It keeps you striving. If any of you have gone to uh, artofcoaching.com forward slash what drives you, 
we talk about uh, a lot of different things that, that lead to uh, some of our behaviors. And for me, I'm, I'm an adversity drive. You can figure out what yours is there, but I'm driven by adversity. I like to keep striving. I like to keep challenging things, especially myself. And that gives you an edge, right? It gives you a chip on your shoulder. I mean, let's be real. If you think everything you touch turned out to be gold, if you weren't humble at all, right? Uh, you're likely succumbing to a lethal combination of pride and stupidity. And I've had that. I've sat through a staff meeting where I once heard a coworker earlier on in my career say, hey, everything we're touching is turning into gold. You know, that was alarming. And then I got in trouble by saying, hey, I don't really ever want to hear that again. That's, that's, that, is, that is prime real estate for us to trip up on our own hubris, right? But at the same time, you do have to know when to stop trying to make something perfect. There's this, there's this line. You have to know when do I shut out the noise? Is this a beta? Think about when your phone gets an update and now a lot of these electronic vehicles get updates. Your Mac gets an update or whatever you use. These things are all version one, version this. So when I started thinking about that, it made a lot more sense to me. You know, our apprenticeship has never been taught in the same place twice. We're now at version 1.8. It's radically different for any of those that came to it in Alabama or Atlanta or when we went to Charleston, South Carolina. It's very different now and it'll continue to be different. So know that these things are going to evolve. And for many of you who reach out to me for advice in starting your own brand or your business, right? You talk about how you're a perfectionist and you worry about it, what others might think or say. Where I'd push back is in reality, I think you're far more worried about what you might think or what you might say to yourself. You might find out you're not as good as you think you are. And you're scared of that. And I get that. You might find out that you have zero clue what you're talking about when it comes time to put pen to the page or whatever your equivalent of that is. And we see this with communication all the time. People think they're great at it, that they understand it. You know, they think that they have a command of uh, the verbal and the nonverbal. That's, I love how that's what communication constantly gets reduced to. Yet when you ask them to take pen and paper and write out their definition of communication, how effective communication takes place, how it looks in multiple cultures, the factors involved with processing information, human nature, perception, all these things. How do, how do you make this information easy to understand for others? If you were to lay that out or even how to get into the head of others, you might find out you don't know how to explain it as well as you thought. You might just try to end up regurgitating what somebody else said. I promise you, it's pretty tough. You know, nothing, nothing proved that to me than when I tried to write my book. You try to lay these things out. It's not as easy as you think. And there's a great study about Yale students who were asked to describe how an everyday thing works, a microwave, a sink. And they all thought before they were given the task that they could do so with ease. The minute they had to write it down, the vast majority of them failed. They couldn't do it. The end result of this whole kind of like humility hoedown, uh, talking about the sachet of negative self-talk, is that we have people who end up staying in the same place for years and years and years. This self-imposed purgatory of, I know I can do more, but I'm not there yet. There's always more to learn. Lifelong learner. I'm never going to get it. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, there's always more to learn. But you also learn a heck of a lot more by doing it and reflecting on the good and the bad as opposed to just going through autopilot and satisficing. Quit hiding behind humility. Quit looking at something as it's not good enough yet. It's not done yet. Ship it. Deliver it. Ship it. There's no statues made of critics. There's no statues made of people that just sit in the corner. Ship it. 
trial it, get it going, right? Despite what popularized one size fits all sound bites tell you, you're going to have to own the following, right? Like you're going to have to, if you take nothing else out of this episode, let it be this. And the following is true regardless of if you're a man, a woman, an alien, an artificial intelligence based construct, right? I'll, I'll lay these out in bullet size format. Tastefully speaking up for yourself and advocating for your own work may make you less likable to some in the short term. But as long as you deliver the goods and you keep your promises to those who get it, right, they will be glad you got on their radar. Don't believe me? Okay. I mean, for, you know, just find and yeah, like blend in and keep your head down your whole life and down talk yourself. But please just don't be upset when you realize that whole camouflage right, by blending in, worked out a bit too well, right? You may have something that you're made to stand out for. You just got to be critical and reflecting of what that is. You actually got to trial it and develop it and cultivate it no different than a garden. If you want to help others, you're also going to have to put yourself first at some point. You cannot pour from an empty cup and you must put yourself in position to obtain valuable knowledge, experience, and resources right? To be able to use those tools for a force for good. So it always trips me up when somebody says, I don't have the time or I don't have the money and they just stay in their lane. They stay in their lane with what's safe and what's familiar. I mean, I know strength coaches that have taken five different certifications on training and nutrition one, what have you. And they ignore the business side. They ignore the social skills side. They ignore this. We see this in every other profession as well. People gravitate to what they already feel okay at. And it's tricky guys you're, you're going to limit yourself. You're going to limit yourself tremendously, right? Really, a lot of people are just scared. A lot of people are scared to put themselves in unfamiliar territory and unfamiliar environments. And that leads to that cascade of humility and what have you. And you know, in that case, it's earned. Because yeah, you're, you're holding yourself back by staying in comfortable places with people and things you know. Another point, take pride in your accomplishments. And I'm talking to myself here too. Just as you shouldn't hide your actual scars because they represent some inevitable shrapnel of life, you need to celebrate small wins and how far you've come. There is not a year that goes by where some critic doesn't try to shame me or badmouth me in some way or another. But these are also the same people who have never even gotten to know me as a person, know anything about my background. They haven't read my books, right? Taken my courses or the like. Yet they claim to know me. Some of these people just follow me on social media and they think that they know who I am and something about my life because maybe they saw a post about my wife or my son or my thoughts and they never think like, oh, if he shows that on Instagram, imagine what I could learn about him and his thoughts and his tactics in deeper mediums, right? Like that, guys, I save, I hate to tell you, but I save most of our good stuff for the podcasts, our courses, our art of coaching all access group, our workshops, because those mediums allow for that, right? So think about the people like, great. Yeah. People are going to judge you. Half of them are never even going to know you. I always laugh when somebody's like, oh, you just lost a follower. I'm like, dude, I, I will not even wake up and remember this tomorrow, you know, but everybody does that, you know, for their own reasons, you know? So I mean, I even had people trying to string me up for my use of the term buy-in, right? Familiarity breeds contempt. And the reality is when I talk to one of these individuals, right? They were just tired of hearing others talk about my book or seeing my book shared online. It had nothing to do about buy-in. It had to do with, they got tired of hearing that phrase, you know, for whatever reason. And one of them wanted to write a book of his own and didn't like, 
people are so complex. So some of these people that are going to trash talk you, it's for whatever other reason. It's very rarely you. Your talents are important and you would certainly never tell your kids to not enjoy life, celebrate things. So take your own advice. Okay. As we close a couple more, quit shunning the idea of building a tasteful personal brand or developing a key point of differentiation. Everything in nature embraces differentiation. Plants, animals, what makes you so special in your humility that you think you can choose to hide and just blend in and, you know, ah, nobody needs to, you know, and then expect to adapt and evolve. I'll raise the stakes. If you're not comfortable building a brand, and again, something you already have, but likely haven't communicated, everybody's got a brand, just the way you behave in daily life is a manifestation of your brand and your values, whether you like the term or not, you will struggle to make the impact you could, or even gain the level of compensation you deserve, or the recognition you deserve, or desire. There is not a career path in the world that is free of risk, problems, or periods of self-doubt. Everybody struggles at some point. The difference maker is the choices you make and how well you deal with those choices under pressure. And hiding behind humility or self-limiting beliefs is not going to make that any better. Right? If you're able to communicate around these obstacles and you're able to communicate well with other people and most importantly know how to speak to yourself, right, that will separate you. You want to be humble, but not at the expense of not staying hungry. So if you haven't gotten the point yet, there are those that have honest humility. There are those who feign humility. There are those who use humility as a shield and some kind of safety mechanism. So if this is something you continually feel like you're struggling with, I get it. Let's keep the conversation going. Go to artofcoaching.com forward slash channels. Again, that's artofcoaching.com forward slash channels. And tell me more about what you're dealing with. Check out the new locations and the dates we've added for our live workshops if you want to work on this stuff. Go to artofcoaching.com forward slash apprenticeship. Guys, we're visiting Dallas and Nashville, Seattle, Boston, Chicago. When the world opens back up, we're already in talks to bring them to the UK and Australia and Canada. Again, we're in more cities weekly. Go to the website, artofcoaching.com forward slash apprenticeship. Read the FAQs. I'll say it three times because I get this question constantly. It is not for just coaches. These are for people in any profession who want to be better communicators. None of our content is about training or sports or whatever. It's about people, behavior change, and the like. As always, I appreciate all of you spending time with me. And I'd also like to thank Ali Kirshner, my wife, Liz Bartholomew, Nikita Emstov, who's helped so much with our graphics, and Lance Daniel and the rest of you. I'm Brett Bartholomew. Thank you for putting up with me for another half hour to 45 minutes, and I will talk to you next time.